With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. My podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. It's winter. It's cold. That's where you need your windows to step their game up and keep your energy efficiency on point where you're staying warm keeping the heat high and the energy bills low and your windows are vital in this fight Pella's got the top of the line windows to do just that you can holler at them your local Pella Omaha and Lincoln expert or you can go online PellaOmaha.com that's PellaOmaha.com and the Nick Bob podcast is powered by Runza and one of the great things about it being winter is the tradition unlike any other and that is Temperature Tuesdays. It is back. It's that time of the year. Every single Tuesday in January and February, the 6 a.m. temperature at the coldest Runza location is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you buy a medium fry and medium drink. Oh, baby. Temperature Tuesdays are back. Take advantage of it. Runza makes it all better. All right, welcome back into the Nick Ba podcast, and I am currently taping this on the road from my hotel room in Columbus, Ohio. On it's about four o'clock Eastern time, five o'clock Eastern time uh, on J- Saturday, January fifteenth. It's been a uh, it's been a crazy week for me. I've been a road warrior. Uh, before I get into the nuts and bolts of the podcast, if you care, here's been my last week. So on Saturday, uh, Saturday January 8th, I did uh, Villanova and DePaul from my basement. I've been broadcasting a few games out of my basement uh, remotely for Fox Sports 1. After that game, I flew to Chicago that night. And then I drove from Chicago to Bloomington to call Minnesota at Indiana on BTN on Sunday. Then on Sunday... I drove from Bloomington to Milwaukee and called DePaul and Marquette on FS1 on Tuesday. Then after that game, I drove from Milwaukee to Chicago, called Seton Hall DePaul on Thursday. And then after that game, I drove to West Lafayette, Indiana to call Nebraska and Purdue on FS1 on Friday. And then after that game, I drove from... Uh, West Lafayette from Purdue to Columbus, Ohio, where I currently am, and I'm getting ready to call Penn State, Ohio State on BTN on Sunday. So I have been on the road for, I'm going to be end up on the road for eight days. I'm doing six games, five different cities, just crazy. It's been a crazy stretch. I love it, but it's still a lot of living out of a suitcase, waking up. What city am I in? I don't even know where I'm at. Uh, and my wife is ready to kill me because we got two kids at home. But you know what? It's the life we choose, and uh, and it's yeah, it's it's a lot, but it's fun, man. I'm I'm loving it. It's it's so great to be able to to live out my dream and and being a college basketball analyst. But I'm recording this again. I'm uh, Saturday, January fifteenth. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, in my hotel room. And I got a good podcast on tap for you. I got three topics I want to dive into. We're going to get into some Nebraska and Creighton basketball. Uh, I got some thoughts on the revised Big Ten schedule for Nebraska, but I want to start with this. I want to start with 
some kudos and a a, a high five to Scott Frost in, in this topic here. I want you to, I want you to think about this for a second. So when the clock struck zero on Black Friday and Nebraska collapsed once again to the Iowa Hawkeyes and ended the year three and nine, Scott Frost had his work cut out for him over the next six to eight weeks, month and a half, two months, right? Like his, I'm still one of those guys that does a, makes a to-do list. I'll make a to-do list. Uh, But think about what Scott Frost's to-do list looked like after that Iowa game on Black Friday. It looked like this. Hire a new offensive coordinator. Hire a wide receiver coach. Hire a running backs coach. Hire an offensive lines coach, offensive line coach. Hire a special teams coach. Figure a way to make that all work to fit into the 10 assistant coaching spots that you're allotted. And find a transfer portal quarterback that can come in and help save your job. I mean, holy shit, that's a lot on your to-do list. And then on top of all that, with all the coaching movement and all the coaching vacancies, and not just, you know, Roast Beef State's job is open. We're talking about the Notre Dame job, the LSU job, the USC job, on and on and on. You have all that movement, all that competition for these coaches, and then all the movement and all the competition in the transfer portal for these quarterbacks. That's a lot. And let's just be honest for a second. There was a scenario where all this stuff could have gone poorly and Nebraska could have ended up with a a shaky hand with a lot of their coaching situations filled with their seventh and eighth choices and their seventh and eighth choice at quarterback transfer situation. Like, there was a scenario where this thing didn't go well at all. Instead, here we are, again, January 15th, and I think Nebraska ended up with a pretty damn good situation of filling all those holes and all checking off all that stuff on the, do, the to-do list, all things considered. Personally, like I personally think the most pressing things that Scott Frost had to get done and get right, right in air quotes, got to get that right, got to get right were, number one, older, experienced, proven offensive coordinator. Had to get that right. You got that in Mark Whipple. Number two, older, experienced quarterback with at least some big-time football under his belt. Check. Got that in Texas transfer quarterback, Casey Thompson. You had to get a stud recruiter who could help you upgrade your talent right now. Check. Got that in Mickey Joseph. And you had to get a special teams coach. Given what has happened over the course of the past four years and just how bad special teams has been, Frost, 1,000% needed to have a full-time special teams coach. I don't know how you could have gone into next season and looked the Big Red Nation and Nebraska football fans in the eyes and not have a special teams coach if you're Scott Frost. And he he got that with Bill Bush. So in in my opinion, Scott Frost addressed not only all the things on his to-do list, but the most pressing things on his to-do list with some of the additions, whether it be a quarterback or the coaching staff. And listen, that's not to poo-poo Donovan Raiola and, 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 and Brian Applewhite or anything like that. But 
the other ones were the the other ones that I just named were the most por- important and and pressing in the short term. In my opinion, you had to find a legitimate big time offensive coordinator that is experienced, has some cred, and Mark Whipple is the kind of coach that I would assume Scott Frost can feel comfortable handing the keys to the car, handing the offense over to him. And he's the kind of coach also that Scott Frost can kind of lean on with advice, just given the fact that you're talking about a guy in Whipple, you know, 60-plus years old and has been around the block, been with the Steelers, been with UMass, been with Pitt. Like, he's been he's been a lot of different places. And he just coached a Heisman candidate in quarterback Kenny Pickett, which really, really helps. Frost had to, to, you know, to get an upgrade with raw talent on this roster, especially at the skill position spots. And Mickey Joseph is an elite recruiter. And he's already helped in bringing in some top shelf talent, top shelf talent to Lincoln. And like we said, Scott Frost's special teams woes were so bad it directly cost Nebraska so many games over the course of of four years. It would have been unacceptable to not hire a full time special teams coach. It just would have been. And so they got Bill Bush. You got Bill Bush. And then. You also, with the quarterback, you had to make sure whoever you brought in to replace Adrian Martinez was a dude that had some experience, right? Like, Casey Thompson, at least on paper, is about as good as Scott Frost in Nebraska could have done, in my opinion. So, I just think we have to stop for a second, rewind back to Black Friday, and really think about all that was on Scott Frost's plate. Find a new offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach, running backs coach, special teams coach, new wide receiver coach. Make it all fit into 10 positions that you have on your staff without screwing up the defensive side of the ball. And lastly, find a talented quarterback in the transfer portal that can come in and start game one next year. Check, 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 check. Now, listen, I'm not saying that this, you know, start making your hotel and, and flight reservations for the Big Ten championship game next December or anything like that. I'm not I'm not saying that this will 100% for sure work. Who the hell knows? I just feel like on paper right now, which is all we can go off of, I think Scott Frost kind of nailed this two-month period of major changes. Again, on paper. Because, again, don't kid yourself. This whole cycle could have ended up being a disaster for Scott Frost in Nebraska. With with no Mickey Joseph, no Mark Whipple, no Casey Thompson, on and on and on. And the reality is, this wasn't, within all that, this wasn't necessarily a home run easy sell to bring in all those people to Lincoln if you're Scott Frost and sitting down and trying to lure these people to come to Nebraska. I mean, you're talking about a coach who is on the hot seat, who has to win next year or is gone. That's not necessarily a situation that a bunch of coaches are running to join. And it's not necessarily a situation that transfer portal quarterbacks or or wide receivers or whoever are running towards either. So I just want to stop in the moment and at least acknowledge and applaud the job that Scott Frost did in the last two months in hiring and bringing in new people. Now, again, I get it. Nick, he he created this problem for himself. I, You're right. He did. He has created this problem. He has put himself squarely on the hot seat. 
He was the one that that brought in you know, his whole staff from Central Florida, maybe waited too long to make some changes, all that stuff. I get it. He has created the problem. But nevertheless, I don't care what anyone says, I think Scott Frost did a pretty damn good job with the hand that either he created for himself or was dealt with his five coaching hires and then landing a transfer portal quarterback. Think about his to-do list after that Black Friday Iowa game. And think about the situation that he is selling. Hot seat, got to win now. There's a scenario where you ended up with a pretty underwhelming crop of coaches and a pretty underwhelming quarterback situation. And at least on paper right now, not bad. Not a bad job at all by Scott Frost. Just wanted to stop, acknowledge, and applaud with the staff officially full and Casey Thompson, the transfer portal quarterback, coming in. Sticking with Nebraska football. So the Big Ten announced last week with the revised football schedules for all the Big Ten teams. And and I think the way the schedule broke out for Nebraska, pretty good, all things considered as well. I guess I'm, I'm feeling optimistic here in Columbus, Ohio, in my hotel. <laughs> but... I feel pretty good about how the staff shook out, the quarterback situation shook out, and I feel pretty good about how the the schedule shook out, the revised schedule for Nebraska shook out. couple of things to think about with the schedule. I was thinking about in driving all over Big Ten country and Big East country with Milwaukee and Bloomington and Chicago and Columbus and Indiana and all that stuff. couple of things with the schedule. Nebraska right now is still slated to open the season – Week zero in Dublin, Ireland against Northwestern. If I'm Nebraska, if I'm Trev Alberts, if I'm Scott Frost, I'm doing all I can to get out of that game being played in Ireland. I am. With with COVID still surging, COVID still being prevalent, and no signs of it going away. I, I just don't I don't I see no upside to this trip. First of all, a part of the upside of the trip, if you're looking at it from a player for the players, a part of it would be the players get to go to 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 Ireland and they get to see Dublin, they get to maybe go on some to see different things in in beautiful Dublin, experience all that stuff. Well, they're not going to be able to do that. They're likely going to be stuck inside their hotel the entire time. So then, what's the point? You know. Also, who knows how many Nebraska fans will actually make the trip given the COVID situation. And, and maybe this is as important as anything, keep in mind, if a player tests positive in Ireland, as it stands right now, they're likely going to have to be quarantined and stay there for potentially 10 days. Really think about that for a second. So Nebraska flies to Dublin and Casey Thompson or Luke Reimer or whoever, they test positive for COVID, they could miss a few games being stuck in Dublin. Not to mention, you got a brand new offensive coordinator, new system, new quarterback, five new coaches. You need as much normalcy as possible to deal with all that if you're Nebraska. And if I'm Nebraska, I'd much rather have that game played at Northwestern than in Ireland. 
and so we'll see on that because the reality is if that game is going to get changed, that needs to happen soon. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for like I'm all for a game in Ireland. Well, I thought when it was initially announced pre-pandemic and all this stuff, I was like, "Ooh, that'll be fun." Like I've been I've been to Dublin. It incredible experience. I've toured the Guinness factory. I've gotten drunk in an Irish pub, an Irish bar. I've like it is with the locals and you talk it's it is an incredible place. And it would be an amazing experience for Nebraska football. And so I'd want to see them do it, but do it when you can actually get the full experience of it. You know what I mean? So my first thought with that schedule as I look at it completely revised is, man, if I'm Nebraska, I'm thinking long and hard about how much I really want to go down the path of playing that game in Dublin. And if it's if at all possible, if you can get out of that game, I'm getting out of that game if I'm Nebraska. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza and the cold winter months. It's officially here. And as a warm weather lover myself, the cold can kind of bum me out. But the one thing that always puts a huge smile on my face when it gets cold, temperature Tuesdays at Runza. Yes, it's that time of the year. Temperature Tuesdays are back at Runza, where every Tuesday in January and February, the 6 a.m. temperature at the coldest Runza location is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you buy a medium fry and medium drink. Think about it. An original Runza sandwich might be 10 cents, a dime, might be a nickel, might be a quarter. Heck, might even be one penny. Just one penny. So make sure you take advantage of this incredible deal every single Tuesday at Runza where the temp at 6 a.m. in Runzaland is the price you pay for an original Runza sandwich and you buy a medium fry and a medium drink. It's back, baby. Temperature Tuesdays. Runza makes it all better. My second thought is this. Like I said at the top, I think the schedule sets up nicely for Frost to have an opportunity to get off to a good start. It's pretty friendly early in terms of home games and opponents. Because keep in mind, in Scott Frost's new contract, his new deal, if if he meets those kind of unreleased, unspecified metrics agreed upon between Trev and Frost, he, he gets a $1 million raise and an extension. And October 1st is kind of that key date because that's when the buyout is, is kind of cut in half. So the, I guess what all that means is you, you need to get you need to hit the ground running early on first five six seven games of the season if you're Nebraska and Scott Frost. Scott Frost basically got about six games to cool that seat down big time. And so having said all that, when you look at the schedule pretty favorable on paper to potentially get off to a good start. Like we just said, first game of the year, Northwestern could be in Ireland. I'd say I'd much rather see that game being played in Evanston, but it's a team that Nebraska smashed last year. Now, Pat Fitzgerald is known for bounce back seasons, but nevertheless, not a brutal opener, right? And it's either not a true road game being played in Ireland or it's going to be in a place that Nebraska fans usually travel really well to in Evanston in Northwestern, which isn't necessarily a hornet's nest type of an environment. Not terrible. Week two, North Dakota. Week three, Georgia Southern. 
Week four, you get Oklahoma coming to Lincoln, but new head coach, new system, tons of changes there. I think all that bodes well for Nebraska. That game isn't nearly as hard on paper as it maybe looked two, three months ago. And then after week four, you get a bye. And then October 1st, the Indiana Hoosiers come to Lincoln, a team that took a big step back last year. And then October 8th is potentially Nebraska's first true road game at Rutgers, which of all the road games to have, that one certainly isn't the most difficult. And so at that point, Nebraska's six games into the season, and all of a sudden you stop and look around, it's pretty manageable first six games of the year. In all those games that I just listed, how many of you were, did you just immediately go, that is a loss, 100%? I don't, I don't see just a no chance in hell kind of a loss on schedule, on, on paper there. Right? Pretty manageable first six games of the year. Because you're working through a lot of stuff, right? Again, we talk, you're going to be working in a new quarterback and a new offense. You're going to be trying to build some confidence and momentum in a, in a program that, as we've seen, has some sort of mental hex over it and can't find a way to win games. And you got to try to cool off that hot seat and keep the Sharks from circling around Memorial Stadium and Scott Frost's job. Again, bottom line, Frost is in hot seat, is on the hot seat. Nebraska's in win-now mode. Nebraska's bringing in five new coaches, a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback. With all that in the equation, you got to hit the ground running and have a pseudo-favorable path to do all those things. And in my opinion, Nebraska was kind of given a pseudo-favorable path. First six games, give Nebraska an opportunity to work through a lot of those things. Now, don't get me wrong, Nebraska's still got a lot of work to be done, and we'll see if Frost is up to the challenge. I just think on paper, early on, decently manageable. Decently manageable situation. By the way, with, with Nebraska's schedule, if, you were, if you're curious, Nebraska's crossover games, Indiana at home and then at Rutgers at Michigan. So no Ohio State, no Penn State, no Michigan State, which is good. Now you still got to go to Ann Arbor. That's going to be that's going to be rough, but still you avoid the Buckeyes, you avoid Penn State, you you avoid Michigan State. Not bad. Your division Big Ten West road games. Now it could be you could end up playing at Northwestern, but right now that game's on a neutral field in Ireland. But then you're at Iowa and at Purdue, and your home schedule is North Dakota, Georgia Southern, Oklahoma, Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Not an awful slate. Not murderer's row, just like, oh, God, pass the whiskey. I don't know how Nebraska's going to ever win a game type of schedule to look at. So the way all that shook out, not bad. Not bad. All right, on the, on the third and final topic of the pod here, let's talk a little Creighton and Nebraska basketball. Uh, again, taping this on Saturday, January 15th. I was on the call for Nebraska and Purdue, uh, and, and I just watched in my hotel Creighton lose at Xavier. Let's start with Nebraska because, man, that was a, a beat down in, in Mackey Arena. 92-65, I think that was the final score. And to be honest with you, as I was preparing for that game, watching film, and listen, you you don't have to be watching film to know that you could kind of see that one coming. I mean, the spread was 20 and a half 
for crying out loud. I mean, you can see it come a tough environment. I was really impressed with my – that was my first time ever inside Mackey Arena. That place is rocking. Purdue is a top-10 team. They're really, really big and physical inside. They got a lottery pick on the wing in Jaden Ivey. And you could tell within the first four or five minutes of the game what kind of night it was going to be. Nebraska was so overmatched physically. They got into foul trouble immediately. Purdue got up 23-4 to right away. And I'm telling you, it's one thing to see it on paper, see it on film, but being courtside, Purdue could get whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it. And it's one thing to see it on paper and see it on film and to know how Nebraska is undersized when you pit it against Purdue. But when you are courtside, it is striking to look at the size differential between those two teams. And listen, I could go on and on and get into the nitty-gritty X's and O's of the game, but I don't think it really calls for that. I mean, Purdue is bigger, faster, and better, period. I think the more interesting conversation is just kind of like Nebraska basketball in general right now feels like it's in a weird spot for the rest of the way. Feels like the the local media contingency has kind of started to turn up the heat a little bit on Hoiberg. There was a report about the $18 million buyout with the Bill Moose extension in, in uh, the summer of 2020 that that got some some attention. And, you know, someone emailed me and asked how I was going to judge the rest of the season, what I'm looking for. And as I pondered that question, it's kind of hard to answer because I have found myself falling victim to a dangerous path to go down. And that path is any sign of progress regardless of the outcome. And that's a fancy way of saying you're going down the moral victory path because that's a dangerous place to be in. And so what's hard for me is Nebraska at times has undeniably taken strides from how they performed against Western Illinois and in particular their back-to-back beatdowns at the hands of Michigan and Auburn where they gave up basically 100 in back-to-back games. They were horrible in both those games. And after both those games, I was really worried, like, is that going to be the rest of the season? where they're going to get 100 hung on them and not even be competitive, not fight at all. I was That was in the cards to me. I was like, man, uh-oh. And to Nebraska's credit, they've shown progress from those games. Ohio State at home, could have easily won that game. Michigan State really competed well. Illinois at home, tied with three minutes and 50 seconds left to go. Those games were much better in terms of effort, fight, and execution. Much better. But this team's margin for error is so slim that it doesn't take much for it to slip and get ugly again. Rutgers on the road physically punked Nebraska. And then so did Purdue. So so it's tough. I, I find myself in this world where I'm praising progress from when things were awful against Michigan and Auburn, which is a weird way to frame progress. And even within those moments of progress, Ohio State, Illinois, they're still losing those games, and they're still having some games where it goes south big time. So I feel like i got to recalibrate how I'm viewing things right now. And, and the challenging things 
the challenging thing for me is I don't think this team has the roster and makeup right now to win a lot of these games, right? Like I thought Nebraska would get crushed by Purdue, and they did. So it feels weird after the fact then to act like I expected otherwise. Like it would be disingenuous for me to turn on this microphone and be like, I Nebraska, this is real. I thought they were like – they were 20-point dogs. When I studied it on film, I'm like, they're they're in trouble. They're going to get hammered. But also acknowledge that getting blown out isn't acceptable either. Like, So there is a balance for me with, with two things right now. Number one is the reality of the situa- situation with Nebraska and where they are, which brings about a level of, of expectation in your mind in the moment, each game, considering the roster. Versus where you'd hoped they'd be and where they need to be in year three, year three under Fred Hoiberg, and trying to combine those two worlds is chal- is a challenging thing to do. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors. By Pella, won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. So I guess here is where I'd land. Number one, you got to get to where you're competitive. And, and if you lose, go down with, with pride, with fight. Like, you can get beat by 15, but fight your ass off, right? Like, regardless of of who will be here on the roster or not next year, at some point, that has to get established. Like, you got to nip that in the butt right now. Like, of, of a standard of fight and energy and focus and competitiveness and pride has to be there. That's number one. And then more specifically, number two, when you look at the schedule, okay, so here's here's Nebraska's home games left on the schedule. Again, taping this Saturday, January 15th. Indiana, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Northwestern, Minnesota, Maryland, Iowa, all are your home games. I'd say Nebraska should have a chance at winning three or so of those games. Is that fair? I mean, Northwestern, Minnesota, Rutgers, Maryland – like, I'd say those are the four most winnable games on the schedule the rest of the way. And then when you then when you look at the road slate left, you got road games at Ohio State, at Michigan, at Iowa, at Northwestern, at Penn State, at Wisconsin. I'd say between the games of at Northwestern and at Penn State, those are, are the most gettable, air quotes, gettable on paper right now for Nebraska. So in combining all, both of those, Nebraska's got six gettable, winnable games. Northwestern, Minnesota, Rutgers, Maryland at home, and then at Northwestern and at Penn State on the road. So between those six games, to me, those are the games Nebraska's, we're going to find out a lot. They got to step up. 
No way, no way Nebraska is going six and zero in those games. They're not good enough to do that. But if you want to see any sort of progress and want to talk about any sort of positives, those six games got to go well. Nebraska has got to go what four and two, three and three in those games, right? I think that's probably a bare minimum to say and kind of resetting things. Number one, stop getting blown out. And then number two, you got to find a way to win three to five games down the stretch here, especially in those manageable, winnable games on the schedule. Hopefully getting Trey McGowan's back will help. He's been medically cleared to play. He's starting to practice and do more. He's going to make a difference. And I do think the hardest part of their schedule is now kind of behind them. You got five of your next seven games at home for Nebraska. You you better get it going quickly if you're in Nebraska and make Pinnacle Bank Arena a place where you're you're finding a way to to win some games. And then with 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 Creighton, Creighton it's it's been a weird stretch for Creighton. They've had so many canceled games due to COVID. And it's all been because of other teams' COVID issues. Knock on wood here, Creighton has been good on the COVID front, but they've had bad luck with their opponents getting hit with COVID and losing a bunch of games. Think about this. Creighton beat Villanova on December 17th. So since that date, December 17th, Creighton has played three games. At Marquette on January 1st, at Nova on January 5th, and at Xavier on January 15th. And Creighton went one and two of those games. And Creighton's, so they've played three games in the last month. That's a lot of time off. That's not a lot of playing. So I guess I'm not totally surprised to see Creighton be a little disjointed at Villanova and at Xavier. I mean, those are two top 20 teams and Creighton hasn't played. And so Creighton's got to get a little bit of their rhythm and, and flow of playing again. And it is too bad that Creighton did get a chance, didn't get a chance to kind of build on the momentum of their big win and best performance of the season in beating Villanova on December 17th. Instead, they have a long layoff, and they've only played three times since then. All three have been on the road. But listen, having said all that, Creighton and their issues are well documented with this team. And those issues reared their head again in a road loss at Xavier. Turnovers. In all of Creighton's losses this year, outside of the Colorado State game where the Rams threw in 23s, but in the other four losses, the biggest issue has been ball handling and turnovers. Iowa State, 21 turnovers. Arizona State, 14 turnovers, but got really heated up and disjointed in the second half. At Villanova, 16 turnovers. Got totally pressured out of their offense. And then at Xavier, 21 turnovers. It's pretty simple what the biggest problem is. This team has had a hard time handling the ball and making good decisions. And I've been a broken record on this podcast talking about that. With Sharif Mitchell being out, Creighton really only has one pure point guard ball handler on the floor, and he's a true freshman in Ryan Nemhard who's playing a ton of minutes. That's a problem. And the hard part is, Ball handling isn't an easy thing to fix if you're a coach in season. 
Like a, a lot of this is just on the players stepping up and just handling the pressure and making better decisions with the ball. There isn't a ton Greg McDermott can do with all that in terms of a schematical solution. Because a lot of the turnovers are just either self-inflicted poor decisions, errant passes, driving into nothing, whatever, or just a ball handler getting sped up, heated up by a defender and coughing it up. So there are times there is a solution and there are also times where the solution is he's got to be better. And unfortunately, I think the solution is that. Like Creighton's ball handlers just got to be better, man. I-, I wish I had some other insightful solution or thought, but a lot of this is Nemhard, O'Connell, Kaluma, Alexander, Andronikashvili. Like all those guys just got to be better and stronger with the ball and smarter with their decisions. Like I don't know what else to say because the 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 other thing that the the bad thing now is the book is out there on Creighton. Like it's on film and it's there. Teams see how Creighton has turned it over, so teams are going to kind of pin their ears back and come after Creighton with ball pressure. Those guys got to be better. Sure, I get you know maybe a backdoor set or two could help alleviate things in the moment, and sure throwing the ball into the post more to Hawkins could could help in the moment, but those aren't long term solutions. The long term solution is the ball handlers for Creighton just have to be better. Sometimes the answer is simple, but the completion of that task is hard, and that's kind of where Creighton is at right now. They just got to get back into a game rhythm and game flow, which could help with some of this stuff. But they got to just bow up, get tough, step up to the challenge of handling the ball and making better decisions. Because I think with Creighton's emergence of of good rim protection with Kalkbrenner and even Keyshawn Fizel and Kaluma, but really Kalkbrenner, with, with how they've been defensively and protecting the rim, and then even offensively when they've not turned it over their offensive numbers have been pretty good I think you feel like if 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 Creighton just handles the ball at a higher rate they're good they're pretty good shape win a lot of games but it all comes back to ball handling it all comes back to ball handling so we'll see if if Creighton can step up to the challenge handle the rock that's really what this comes down a Huda Media Production